Jim Martin, you are a Jesuit from America. You are here in Ireland for to speak at the World Meeting of Families, uh, well known for your book on building a bridge, which is about relationships between the gay community and the Catholic Church. Is that what you'll be speaking about in the RDS in Dublin? It is. Um, the Vatican and uh, the Church in Ireland invited me to talk about showing welcome and respect to LGBT Catholics and their families. So basically, it's the same topic. How can the Catholic Church uh, more compassionately reach out to LGBT Catholics, who, after all, are part of this church? Absolutely. And do they feel that they are not welcome? And what do they cite to you as that experience of feeling unwelcome? That's a good question. Uh, it depends where they are. Uh, I live in New York City, and there, for example, are many parishes where LGBT Catholics feel very welcome. They, they, I mean, sometimes you walk in and you say, gee, I wonder if there are non-LGBT Catholics here because there's so many programs directed towards them. But in most parts of the country, um, and I would say in most parts of the world, they don't feel welcome. They tell me stories about being insulted privately or publicly from the pulpit. One of the stories I tell is that I met a, an autistic man who's 30 years old who came out and was not in any sort of relationship and was told by one of the pastoral ministers in his parish that simply because he came out, he could no longer receive communion publicly. He was supposed to go to the rectory and perhaps receive a communion privately from the pastor, which is insane. I mean, the state of affairs is so bad that, you know, that this is the way they're treated. Another woman called me from a diocese in the United States that will remain nameless and said, uh, actually, she texted me on um, Facebook and said, Father, do you know someone who's a compassionate priest in our diocese? And I wrote back and said, why? She said, because I work on a hospice and the local parish priest assigned to the hospice is refusing to anoint a man who's dying because he's gay. And so this is the kind of stuff people put up with. Another lesbian woman told me that a, pa a pastor told her, I don't know if you have this expression in Ireland, but your kind are not welcome here. Uh, and maybe it would be better if she went and looked for another parish. And so, you know, endless comments, uh, sort of a relentless focus on same-sex marriage. The mother of a, a gay man told me that her son had decided to come back to church after a few years. And she picked Easter. They both picked Easter, so they were very excited. She was delighted that the son was coming back. She picked a, a late time, a late mass, so that he could go. So they both sit down. She was so excited. And guess what the pastor preaches on? It's you know the Easter story, of course. He preaches on same-sex marriage. So on Easter Sunday, now there are many things to preach about on Easter Sunday, and same-sex marriage is not one of them. And the kid got up and walked out. And the mother started to cry. I mean, it's a so these people are really mistreated. And I think, you know, we see that in public statements as well. So that's why they feel excluded. That's an awful litany. And yet, is it maybe any less awful than the theology that is taught, which is that to be gay is to be intrinsically disordered? Does that have to change? Not just the language, and I know you've spoken about the language, but the theology itself. Well, I'm very clear that I'm not challenging church teaching on anything, uh, either on uh, the catechism or same-sex relations or homosexuality. But what's important to know is that uh, many LGBT people, most LGBT people, find that language really offensive and hurtful. And many LGBT people, I think that... Uh, the writers of the catechism might be surprised to find this out, you know, point to that phrase, intrinsically disordered and other places objectively disordered, as the most important thing that keeps them from the church. And, you know, one of the things we have to ask ourselves theologically is this, a, 
a teaching has to be received by the faithful uh, in order for it to be really full, right? Uh, That's part of the theology of uh, church teaching in the magisterium because we believe the Holy Spirit is a work in the people. And so, you know, you look at a teaching like, for example, the Immaculate Conception, right, which is declared uh, infallible. You know, the, the faithful have received that. They believe in the Immaculate Conception. LGBT Catholics have not received this teaching. And the, the church has to ask themselves, why not? And what is going on? And, and so, many straight Catholics don't accept it either. That's a good point. So the question is, why not? And what can we learn from listening to the experiences and to the reactions uh, and to the wisdom, really, of LGBT people who, you know, who are living these lives? Pope Francis made the famous remark, who am I to judge? Do you take hope from him and from that remark? I do, because so many LGBT people, when you you talk about language that uh, offends them or hurts them, so many of them point to that phrase, uh, which was uh, given in answer to a question about gay priests, which is an interesting thing to remember, especially now, uh, but then was expanded to everybody who was gay. So many people point to that as a turning point for them. And a lot of uh, LGBT people tell me that's one reason they came back to church. This, it's not a change in teaching, but it's a change in tone and approach. And that is a change. And people feel that and they, they have come back. You mentioned there the, the thing about gay priests. It's pretty disavowed, isn't it? I mean, we don't really hear talk about gay priests. And yet we know and Everybody knows that probably even disproportionately there are uh, the gay priests in churches throughout the world. Is that part of the problem in terms of that invisibility? That's a great question. It is part of the problem, the larger problem of the invisibility of the LGBT community. There are gay priests, and by gay I don't mean sexually active, I mean chaste and celibate, chaste for religious orders, celibate for diocesan priests. And why can't we admit that? Well, there are a number of reasons, and oftentimes bishops and religious superiors tell them not to come out, you know, because they're afraid, you know, of what might happen, what might the parishioners say. And a lot of times the priests themselves don't want to come out to anyone other than their close friends. In the environment we're in now, where gay priests are being basically blamed for all pedophilia as if being gay means being your pedophile, it's not surprising that they wouldn't come out. So, yes, I think if we could see public models of homosexual men who are living healthy, celibate, productive lives, it would really help the LGBT community. And I think it would really be a challenge to some bishops who think that all LGBT people are just, uh, you know, terrible and promiscuous and, and don't like Catholicism and aren't good Christians. So, so much of it is bound up in secrecy and fear, The New Testament says, as you know, perfect uh, love drives out fear, and I often say perfect fear drives out love. And so, with this fear of honesty and truth about the reality of of celibate gay priests, we are really driving out love. I'm struck by that connection that has been drawn particularly by the more right-wing people in the Catholic Church, that the gay priests are the ones who are responsible for paedophilia. That must be incredibly painful and hurtful. It is. And I think, you know, what needs to be said is this. Look, most of these abuse cases are clearly uh, against, you know, the victims are young men or boys, right? So obviously these priests are, we, we can say they're gay. I mean, I know a psychologist might say that it's, it's, it's not homosexuality, it's more about power. But we could say that many of the priests that, you know, have abused these kids uh, and children are gay. 
But that does not mean that all gay priests are abusers. Um, the thought exercise I like to tell people is imagine if you had a certain religious ethnic or social group and a certain percentage of them, you know, committed crimes. You wouldn't say everyone in that group is a criminal. Now, why not? Well, because you would have counterexamples of, of healthy people in those groups, right? You would have the, the healthy, productive, law-abiding member of this particular religious, social, or ethnic group. You don't have that in the case of the Catholic Church because the celibate gay priests are afraid to, to be out there and are sometimes told not to be out there. And so all you have as, as an emblem of the gay priest or the, is the abuser. And that really, I think, enables people to give vent to their homophobia. The experience of being gay in society is not good either. Now, in Ireland, it has changed, but it, it wasn't that long ago that a gay man was beaten to death and there have been hate crimes. And still some people in the gay community will tell you that that still happens. That's replicated around the world. It's not just a church thing. Does it pain you that the church doesn't take a leadership in this, which a church that preaches that we're all made of the image and likeness of God? And number two, have you thought about why it is across the world that this kind of attitude persists in people? Well, to the second question, uh, it's a fear of the person as other. It's a fear of the person who is different. You know, and Jesus comes to uh, into first century Galilee and Judea to tell us that that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, he reaches out specifically to people on the margins, tax collectors, prostitutes, Roman centurion, the Samaritan woman is a perfect example, lepers, people who are sick. He tells us that we're not to fear people who are different. We're actually supposed to see ourselves in them. But, you know, the first question I think is a really a, a, an important one. Why isn't the church standing up for uh, LGBT people who in many countries are are being beaten and killed? You can be executed legally for engaging in same sex in some countries. And in some countries, the Catholic Church has actually supported some of those repressive um, laws. But but more broadly, what about in countries in the West, like Ireland and the United States? You know, what about when, when people are bullied? What about, uh, you know, when, when people are, uh, you know, they're victims of hate crimes? Why isn't the Church more open about those things? And I think because we tend to think that, well, if we're open about those things. And if we support LGBT people, people are going to think we're for same-sex marriage, and you know, which is ridiculous. So you can certainly stand up, and the church should certainly stand up for people who are, who are marginalized groups who are being bullied. I mean, you know, look at kids being bullied in school who are gay. I mean, why can't the Catholic Church, with, with its long experience of education, stand up for those things? And I talk about that in my book, Building a Bridge, and I'm talking about that uh, in my talk as well, that that, that is an easy way for the church to stand on the side of LGBT people. And, and frankly, it is not being done. Tomorrow when you talk, and there have already been some people getting a protest up to disinvite you, you're well used to protests when you turn up um, in different places and invitations being withdrawn and whatever. What has your experience been? Do you think that people are open to hearing what you say and to changing? I do. I think most people are very open. And why is that? Because more and more people have LGBT people in their families and circle of friends, period. That's uh, a very small group of far-right uh, Catholics who are pretty hateful and driven by homophobia. You can go online and see them. They're very effective in ginning up opposition. But, you know, frankly, there are all these protests that are being threatened. I, I end up going to these talks and there's a handful of people. I think the most was 50 people or 100 people in Chicago. And, you know, frankly, I didn't really care. There were 100 people outside the cathedral. There were 2,000 people inside the cathedral on two nights. So to these 
protest. I, I mean, what what kind of a Jesuit would I be if I let a few hateful homophobic people stop me from talking about compassion? I really my 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 mantra is who cares. <laughs>